0: I am your host, the Doc Chad Matthews, net. Wherever you may be listening, Doc says, Doc says... Oh. This is just what the doc ordered, I'm saying welcome, they sick of the other shows, Chad here to help them, the author of the Mania Era is bringing terror on L.O.P. Radio, this is the prepare for the knowledge that he about to showcase, like a bar that you lift, his opinions hold weight, he wrote a few books and he's working on another for y'all, this a five star podcast, Chad let's get it on. Author of the Wrestlemania Era, the book of sports entertainment and of the doctor's orders on lordsofpain.net. Doc Says. 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 Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Doc Says on LOP Radio. I am your host, The Doc, Chad Matthews, author of the greatest matches and rivalries of the WrestleMania era and of the doctor's orders on lordsofpain.net, and I wish you all a happy WrestleMania day. These next 30 minutes will be dedicated to getting you hyped about the show of shows If you're not feeling the mania, but still intend to watch, then I'm hoping this will liven your mood. And if you're pumped, then this should only add to your enthusiasm. Granted, this will not be a podcast that pumps up the volume, so to speak, on the matches involving the part-timers in the highest profile of situations. I fundamentally oppose the idea that WrestleMania, in this era of the most stacked WWE roster since the early 2000s, needs more than two of those high-profile part-timers. Two WWE legends replace what celebrities like Trump and Mayweather and LT brought to the table in the past. But if we can have Angle and Lesnar, Batista and The Game and Shane take time from those attempting to become legendary and steal creative focus from shows that would otherwise be concentrating on crafting compelling matches for contemporary stars. And they don't offer enough in return to these part-timers to offset what they extract. So my thoughts will largely be on what's at stake for the modern wrestlers. Back to the positive notes. I think it's cool that this WrestleMania will culminate the stories of the most over-female superstar in WWE lore, the hottest and most organic angle of the year to date, and perhaps in a very long time, and the best example of long-term storytelling in a top title match that WWE has produced in quite a while. Becky, Kofi, and Seth Rollins are what WrestleMania, at least in terms of the way I grew up with it, falling in love with WrestleMania, is what that was all about. I fell in love with Mania. It became and remained for so many years my anchor to the business and the WWE product particularly by watching Savage steal the show, Bret rise to the top, HBK become Mr. Wrestlemania, Austin turn into a legend, The Rock embodying everything that video packages claimed the show of shows to be, Edge scratch and claw his way to the main event, the streak within the streak, Yeselmania and the heist of the century among others. I feel as though the present will take center stage tonight in a way that the past has prevented for much of the last three Wrestlemanias. Yes, the past shadow still looms large, But you can't tell me that WrestleMania 35 isn't about Rollins, Kofi, and Becky ascending to the next levels in their careers above all else. I will be rabidly rooting for all three to win, and I feel that all three must win for tonight's show to maximize its capability. Tonight, it's us versus him when Seth personifies diehard fan angst about Brock Lesnar. And it's just that simple. Tonight... Kofi will take the mantle for the black community and look to catapult to the forefront as WWE champion, a race that has been for far too long marginalized at the top of the WWE hierarchy. The last time an African American walked out of WrestleMania with the richest prize in the history of the business? Try never. Try only in a dream. Tonight, Kofi Mania looks to make a long held dream a reality. Tonight, Becky Lynch can really and truly become the man. The biggest star in the industry winning the title in the main event is a rite of passage, and it's her time, no matter what Ronda Rousey says about the industry or what Charlotte Flair does to try and steal the lightning captured inside of Becky's bottle. There are a couple of barometer matches, ones that can sway a WrestleMania into legendary status if two or more of the top three aforementioned bouts are optimized. Matches such as Orton vs. Styles, and Reigns vs. McIntyre, and the angle farewell has the potential to be an awesome moment. It's going to be hella long, man, but the potential is there. So let's dive into this card. Tony Nese vs. Buddy Murphy for the Cruiserweight Championship. The rise of Tony Nese has been one of the best things about 205 Live thus far in 2019, and frankly, it's the best kept secret in all of WWE, wink, wink, because he owns two of the best matches in WWE this year. Nice vs. Noam Dar and Nice vs. Alexander in the finals of the tournament that earned him his WrestleMania opportunity were both absolutely fantastic matches, and each was distinct from most of what you'll see from the main roster. Now, Nice gets a chance to further the growing reputation of cruiserweight title bouts on pay-per-view nights, dating back to Buddy Murphy's win Over Alexander in Australia last October, every cruiserweight title match has been one of the best bouts on display, and I see no reason why that trend will not continue. Neese and Murphy are two of the best athletes in the game right now, and both possess the kind of combinations of strength and speed that could coalesce when put against each other into something quite memorable. Alexander represents the adversary that each has faced who is most similar to their respective skill sets. But truly the most comparable opponent that either man could face is each other. I think we'll see a level of power added to the equation that we have never seen on 205 Live before. So while I cannot help but think that the inevitable rematch on a Tuesday night down the road will excel to a greater extent because of the time afforded to it, a clash such as this one on a stage such as WrestleMania's is not to be ignored when attempting to judge which matches tonight have the best odds at stealing top-rated votes from higher-profile offerings. If this isn't on par with Murphy vs. Tazawa at Elimination Chamber, I'd be surprised, and I've got reasonably high hopes that it might enter into the top three discussion on the running list of the Purple Brand's best that I've got going on LOP with our 205 Live Guru, 205 Clive. The SmackDown Tag Team Championships will be on the line when the Usos defend against Ricochet and Aleister Black, The Bar, and Shinsuke Nakamura and Rusev. I don't have high expectations for this match, but I do think that it could be a much more welcome addition to the show than was last year's triple threat tag team match that was simply dominated by the powerful powerful duo that went on to win it, that being the sledgehammer-wielding combination of Eric Rowan and Luke Harper. Four teams... Eight minutes, tons of nonstop action. It's got the potential to be one of those types of matches that WrestleMania 18 featured so heavily. Shorter, faster, and quite frankly, really good. So it's not the type of match that seems like it's going to offer you much, but still has the potential, in my mind, to offer you a lot. For the Intercontinental Championship, it's Bobby Lashley versus Finn Balor. We're going to get to see the Demon and his entrance at WrestleMania tonight. And accordingly, this is going to be a nice addition to the card for that alone. Balor has proven quite adept at making his spot count over the past couple of years on these big four shows. Think back to his original outing, the legendary performance given he popped his shoulder in several times post-dislocation at SummerSlam 2016, his awesome 2018 Rumble performance, his excellent triple threat to Open Mania last year, and his effort opposite Brock at this year's Rumble. All noteworthy, right? But he's also done more with less, and the Demon has often been the catalyst. Consecutive Summer Slams have seen the Demon emerge, dominate, and leave a show-enhancing memory. I suspect that's what we'll get when he faces Lashley. The card is too deep to expect that this will get any sort of extended runtime, but it won't need to. Something like we saw from the Demon against Bray Wyatt in Brooklyn two years ago should do just fine. I'd honestly love to see undercard matches like this be given the kind of treatment utilized so well, again, at WrestleMania 18, the host of such rock-solid 6-8 to eight minute performances as Edge vs. Booker T, Christian vs. DDP, and Regal vs. RVD. If we get that out of this and the Demon thrown in with an IC title win for Balor for good measure... That's a heck of an undercard success. Frankly, I wouldn't ask this to do too much from bell to bell, because it doesn't need to do much from bell to bell to be very valuable on the night. Do the demon entrance, go hard for six minutes, and go home with a new IC champ. The Andre Battle Royal? Uh, I've really soured on the concept. They nailed it the first year. This is exactly where everyone should go who doesn't have a major role already. This is the perfect avenue to get everyone on the card. Unfortunately, aside from attaching Andre's name to it, there's never been any stakes defined for the winner. He wins, and it's mentioned for a bit, and then it's not a factor anymore. It had value, now it's fluff. This one is about SNL comedians and Braun Strowman, who is yet again getting the shaft with his role. Maybe he gets press and a few na- and a few new fans might dig it, but to the vast majority of the fan base, especially those of us who care about things like legacy, Strowman's the odd man out again, relegated to this spot again because of WWE's obsession with its past. And it's a shame this could and should be more than it is overall. I can't see myself really making much time for it. I think it's a total non-factor. The Miz versus Shane McMahon is in a false count and enter- anywhere match. Let's kind of get this out of the way. Uh... Go away Shane McMahon. My goodness, this is ridiculous. I miss the good sense to roll the McMahons out for matches every other year or so like they did back in the day. There's a conversation that likely takes place in meetings midway or more through the calendar when a question legitimately must get asked, what's Shane McMahon doing at Mania next year? If you need a legend or two but no one else is around, cue up here comes the money and let's roll with it. But again, this is superfluous. That said, at least Miz is in this match. He's great. It's a false count anywhere match, so that means it's going to get time. Double edged sword, in my opinion. Miz can enhance his mania legacy here, and that's the good news. It'll be a game time decision as to whether or not I watch this match on the night. I love the Miz and it's cool that he's gotten over as a babyface. But, you know, come on. I guess the best case scenario is it's it's a it's something on the level of AJ Styles versus Shane McMahon two years ago, but in principle alone, it's getting pretty tough to stomach these Shane McMahon matches. Rey Mysterio versus Samoa Joe for the United States title. Now that's more like it. I hope this becomes something to talk about by the time the weekend has come and gone, because it's a match that you'd have to love to see far more on any other occasion. On such an occasion you'd assume it might get some time to shine, but on this card, with so many other matches, I guess I believe it's going to get lost in the shuffle and be one of those punk versus Ray type matches that delivers for what it was instead of just delivering. On paper, this should be a fine addition to the card and has the potential to be one of those Brett vs. Piper or Rollins vs. Orton type mid card matches. It could be one of those Owens vs. Jericho types that fits in the tier below that previous standard, or it could just be there. Joe has never had a WrestleMania match. There's motivation accordingly, one would presume, to have a great performance against a game opponent who hasn't seen that stage in a match against a game opponent since 2011 in Rey Mysterio. I think there's a chance this match opens the show, which would give it the best chance to reach a peak level of memorable I think there's a chance that this gets put in a lousy spot with 10 total minutes including ring entrances, and I think there's a chance it gets pre-showed and and then forces us to remember it anyway, despite its demotion from the main card. Next week I'm going to do a Mania Weekend Top 10, matches and moments and stories all together. Best case scenario for Mysterio vs. Joe is that there is a reason for us to talk about it on that show. The Fatal 4-Way Women's Tag Team Title Match. It sure didn't take long for women's tag wrestling in WWE to settle into the space that men's tag team wrestling occupies. Plenty of potential remains for the near and long-term future of the fledgling division. But I do not see how a cluster match that seems destined to end up in a lousy place on the card is going to advance women's tag team's reputations. Something respectable here would get by... I think it would get the job done, as clearly this is not designed to be a high-quality bout that adds significantly to this card's reputation. I remain adamant that Bailey and Banks need a team that can really go to wrestle consistently across multiple major shows to get the division off the ground. The addition of Beth Phoenix does add some gravitas, as I think her time on commentary has arguably done more for the women's tag division than any of the actual in-ring action sans for the Elimination Chamber match. And I'm sure that she'll get a spotlight moment to take down Nia Jax, who could end up the star of this match, as has often been the case when she's been involved in multiple female scenarios. But my interest in this match, considering the enormity of the card, is pretty low, and I'm just hoping to be pleasantly surprised. The Women's Battle Royal Not much to talk about here, right? Asuka lost her title. She really got the shaft during Mania season because she went from a revitalizing end to 2018 to retaining the SmackDown women's title over Becky Lynch, of all people, at the Rumble, to possibly facing Charlotte at WrestleMania in a rematch, to then perhaps facing Shayna Baszler at WrestleMania, to being here. So it would seem a logical consolation for her to win the Battle Royal. But at the same time, I just don't know what WWE thinks of Asuka. She's obviously not a high priority, on a level below the second tier Bailey and Sasha types on the hierarchy. Like with the men's battle royal, it really is just a place to throw some bodies for them to get on the show. So for all we know, Melina could show up and win it. My daughter might be into it, but that's really the only reason I could see myself watching it, with all due respect. More invested in the result personally than I am how we get to it. Roman Reigns vs. Drew McIntyre You know what this reminds me of? A sleeper hit from WrestleMania 26, Sheamus versus Triple H. It was about 13 minutes of smash-mouth main event-style wrestling, and despite his loss, it absolutely took the career of the Celtic Warrior to the next level. This match is poised to do the same for Drew McIntyre in defeat at WrestleMania 35, As I was a Seamus supporter back then, I am a Scottish psychopath supporter now, and I have a gut feeling that should they be given a proper spotlight, meaning that this ends up being more than just a strong and emphatic first singles match back in the fold for Roman, then they could have the kind of performance that people reflect on 10 years from now as one of the finest WrestleMania matches of its kind. As such, anticipation levels are high for me on this one. This is what I want to see at WrestleMania. McIntyre is a prototype modern big man. He looks like a million bucks. He can move around the ring like someone half his size. He's the in-ring total package to wrestling today what someone like LeBron is to basketball. He's also very believable in his heel role. And in my mind, no single superstar has had a better road to WrestleMania on the Raw brand than McIntyre. It's possible that a highly competitive match leading into the expected result could be the beginning of a generational rivalry between the two. Reigns, meanwhile, has got a golden opportunity here. Despite main eventing four straight WrestleManias, he has never actually wrestled a contemporary on the grandest stage, and his last three have tarnished his legacy on account of how short of expectations he fell in that spot, despite the fact that the fault was probably 70% or greater on his part-timer opponent. Triple H wanted to wrestle a Triple H match at the end of the first ridiculously overlong Mania and in a match that nobody gave a crap about by the time Mania Weekend rolled around. Taker was a shell of himself. The less said about last year's debacle, the better. Reigns now gets a gamer to work with, someone very hungry and with whom I expect he'll have great chemistry. Batista versus Umaga, please do not let this be. Give them the kind of minutes afforded to Taker in his 1996, 1998, 2001, 2002, 2005, and 2007 matches and let these two tear the house down. Pretty cool to say the least. Best case scenario, Roman Reigns steals the freaking show. Kurt Angle's farewell match. We've not seen a retirement match labeled as such at WrestleMania since HBK lost to Taker in 2010, and the concept has rarely been used on the grandest stage, with Ric Flair leaving an indelible memory in 2008, perhaps being the only other prominent version. This is the kind of legend involvement that I'm happy to engage with, for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, it flat out tells me that this is it for an icon-like angle, and I don't have to ponder up until the point when the part-timer problem each Mania season finally gets under control when he might show up to take another spot and send a a top-level modern star languishing into just-happy-to-be-here mode. Second, Mania has become obsessed with its moments, hitting its peak last year when they teased the match that many, like myself, thought was one of the ultimate dream matches of the last decade that WWE had right there and never pulled this trigger on, that being Cena versus Undertaker. They turned that into a moment, not too dissimilar from the Austin versus Hogan acknowledgement in 2014, only a far more jarring one to me because Taker had not retired and Cena likely still has a lot left in the tank. Angle's farewell is a moment more than a match, but that's what it should be because we know he's a physical wreck, and we also know his circumstances. I'll take Angle's greatest hits over Mickey Rourke punching out Chris Jericho and the like any day. The match isn't expected to be much of anything, such as why I don't care who the opponent is. The run time plays with house money because it's really all about the moment anyway, and if it turns out to be a really nice performance from one of the best who ever laced up a pair of wrestling boots, then that frankly is just a pleasant surprise. I'm happy for Angle to get this moment. I just hope WWE recognizes that he's closer to Bret Hart than Ric Flair and that his farewell doesn't need to last a half hour. Batista versus Triple H. Uh, what can I say about that? I suppose it can be summed up best by their promo segment after Fastlane when Batista made it clear that he was the only person on planet Earth who wanted this match. He's wanted it for years, and even the part-timer-driven Vince McMahon said no for years, but with the cupboard bare of fresh part-timers to take from the retirement home to the so-term but decreasingly accurate grandest stage, unless we define it by length, McMahon finally acquiesced and let Batista have his match with Triple H. Ladies and gentlemen, I will not be watching this match, and even if you told me that it was the best match of all time, and that it gave you an orgasm while filling your bank account inexplicably with extra money, I would still not watch this match. This match is everything wrong with modern WrestleManias wrapped into an elderly package accented by a nose ring and a belly button tattoo. AJ Styles versus Randy Orton. Now this has mid-card Mania Gem written all over it. They've wanted to work a program for years and now the time has arrived. They knocked it out of the park with their promo segment on March 12th and that's pretty much all that I needed to get fully engaged with their match. I'm expecting big things in short minutes, not Rollins versus Orton for Mania 31 quality necessarily, but maybe 80-85% to 85% of that quality, which would add to the Viper's list of such matches at Mania and give Styles a resume builder. Top-end potential would see this join the pantheon of mid-card Mania classics like Piper versus Brett and Y2J versus Christian, but even a 12-minute, 3.5-star match could find us discussing this in future years as a sleeper hit. To reach its full potential, I think it would either need to open or be in that second or third match sweet spot that has served Mania so well in its recent past. Orton's more of a second or third match guy with his methodical style, and it's a role he's excelled in. I like it as the second match. Both should be motivated. Orton's last meaningful contribution was four years ago, and Styles is one of, is kind of actually... You know, one for three on getting his Mania match into the best of the night discussion. Kind of a rarity for him. My personal WrestleMania hype is much stronger thanks to this match being on the card. Kofi Kingston challenging Daniel Bryan for the WWE title, getting down to the nitty gritty. The story of WrestleMania season in 2019 has been Kofi Mania. I'd like to commend WWE for actually going with what got hot instead of trying to force an issue. See how advantageous it is to let the audience help you tell the story creatively, rather than try to tell the story creatively in spite of the audience? To me, that's the biggest thing philosophically about this Kofi saga. Six weeks ago, nobody was talking about the New Day being involved in a high-profile match at Mania, but Kofi got put in Ali's place in the gauntlet, and the organic result was a spectacular wave of momentum that no one saw coming. It just clicked, and WWE went with it. Perhaps that's an advantage of having two world titles and two brands. On SmackDown, they can just go with what's working if they choose to and not have to worry about the casual fan question. Now the completion of the arc beckons, and Kofi winning is the only thing that makes sense. But I suppose we have to go back to the very question asked on this podcast several weeks ago. Is Kofi merely a challenger of the month for a champion on one of the best roles of the decade? Daniel Bryan is an outstanding character on arguably the greatest part of the, the a career best form as an antagonist. Is Kofi the right guide to end that run? I think it's at least worth asking the question, even though my own answer to that question is an unequivocal yes, pun intended. I do believe that Bryan is still the right choice to be champion for much of 2019, but WWE has got to complete this magical Kofi run with a title win for it to be recognized as the rare instance of WWE striking while the iron is hot. And it cannot be on SmackDown on Tuesday. It has to be tonight. Nine years ago, Kofi got red hot feuding with Randy Orton, but the push died a slow death, and he was relegated to making stilts out of a ladder at WrestleMania. This time, the push must peak with a WrestleMania WWE title victory. As for the quality of the match... This is Kofi Shot. He has performed very well with the lights on brighter recently, but the lights get no brighter than Wrestlemanias and this may be the only NBA Finals equivalent that he ever reaches. How will he handle it when the pressure couldn't get any greater and when things like performing in front of a dog-tired crowd, needing to adapt the game plan to suck the fans back into the fiction for maximum payoff, wind up separating this is, this is the type of stuff that winds up separating the very good from the great. Doesn't this match need to hit a four-star type mark, assuming it's given the opportunity? Brian could use a bit of that redeemer himself after falling well short of expectations, despite plenty of time to work with at the Royal Rumble a few months ago. If this match between Brian and Kofi is more like Edge versus Jericho, with a red-hot crowd and a better, more satisfying conclusion, does that suffice? I think perhaps it would frankly. That's personally where I'm setting the hurdle to clear, not knowing where it gets placed on the card. It's not impossible for for it to be the opener. And would that be a terrible spot for it given that the opener has in the more is more era of WrestleMania been one of the best matches on the show? As Styles and Knock proved last year, a dead crowd sets a lousy tone for a high-profile WWE title bout. And though that match was good, it was not what everyone hoped it would be. There's far more emotional resonance with Kofi Mania, granted. But you never know with these giant tired Mania crowds, so hopefully WWE plans the placement really well. Kofi's moment has the potential to be the thing that this card winds up being known for historically, right alongside the women's main event. My expectations are high. I think it's going to be a great match concluded by one of the better, genuine, non-nostalgia-based WrestleMania moments of the decade, perhaps in all of Mania lore. Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship. This is my main event because I am so heavily invested in the Seth Rollins redemption story. He's not had a reign with the top title since he injured his knee and was forced to vacate four and a half years ago. I think he's the most organic babyface WWE has had in that stretch of time. And I'm talking about the entirety of that stretch of time at least in terms of being the most fully fleshed out character and not just a gimmicky thing like a Rusev day that got over huge. Being that combination of things is not easy in this day and age. And it hasn't always gone smoothly for Rollins, but he's earned this spot and he's earned this moment. And I damn sure hope the stamp of universal title approval is the end result for him. It's all about Seth for me. Brock does play a key role as the guy who it's so easy for fans like me to hate. He stands for so many things that I dislike about WWE and WrestleMania right now. The story WWE tried to tell last year with Roman and Brock is essentially the one I'm seeing play out with Brock and Seth this year, and it's far more effective to its target audience. Seth may not be Daniel Bryan in 2014, he may not be Kofi Kingston in 2019, but he's certainly not Roman Reigns or John Cena. He well represents the people and the diehard audience, And it's his time to shine. I hope the match lives up to its considerable potential, and is not just the samey Brock Beast Mode match that we've seen so much of in the past four or five years. Seth is the best WWE storyteller, and Brock is capable of upping his game to match the situation he's in when he's motivated. So let's hope this goes as well as possible. We get a rewatchable classic that's not just built around 15 suplexes and a comeback, and for God's sake... Please let Seth Rollins win. Please. And that brings us to the main event. Becky Lynch challenging Charlotte Flair and Ronda Rousey for their SmackDown and Raw Women's titles respectively. I think it's safe to say that the general feeling among the die-hard fan base veers more toward angst on account of creative and less towards the historic nature of what is going to be a real game-changer for the perception of women's wrestling from WrestleMania 35 onward. Personally, I've not found the creative overly distracting from what is a scenario truly ripe with genuine emotion of all sorts, which I think is the great thing about this situation. I've seen many of my good friends from LOP focusing their ire on the build on TV. Truthfully, and I don't know if it's having taken such a step back from the bubble that I just see things differently, or, or what? But I think it's pretty clear what they were trying to do. To avoid the Brian scenario, they made Becky a part of it from the outset after her injury nixed the Survivor Series match. She won the Royal Rumble, and Ronda always focused on both her and Charlotte late in 2018 before temporarily focusing on Sasha in the new year. By having Becky win the Rumble, they set up her and Ronda, but Charlotte lucked out, the recipient of intended Reigns-like treatment creatively, having been given her spot at the expense of the Austin-like anti-hero-ish Becky. To get to the triple threat, they played on long-held emotions toward both the Becky type and the Charlotte type hero and villain, respectively, then borrowed from the old playbook by mixing in all the corporation authority tropes. They effectively filled two months of TV by doing it, even if the desire to sneak Triple H into a babyface role against Batista later in the game made one of the segments in the women's saga make a little less sense. Negativity toward angles is like a virus that it, it kind of eats away at the patience of diehard wrestling fans. And I'm of the opinion that choosing to book angles that had more reality-era-type concepts pretty much backfired, because there's still a lot of real angst towards WWE creative choices, and that angst is not going anywhere. If WWE decides to use that vitriol and try to tie into the psyches of the most ardent fans, then there will be some backlash, and it might not work as effectively. Perhaps they should have gone with something a bit more dry. And of course, there's the presence of Charlotte to consider, but I think the question now becomes whether or not the lambasted build-up will affect how people respond on the night. Charlotte's there. The build-up has not been well received. But on the night... It will go on last, and in doing so, it will come at the end of a very long show. Kofi Mania might steal some of the thunder once reserved for Becky, right? The rise to the main event of the New Day, who have all stepped up so huge during the past month, has become the story of WrestleMania season right out from under the nose of Becky Lynch's rise to being definitively and unequivocally the man. But it wasn't supposed to be. Big picture implications abound in each of the three headlining matches, so I think it is at least worth considering that the heat on the main event once thought to be a lock might end up being given to other matches. Is Becky still as over today as she was before the generally derided build to her match? Their moment isn't nearly as noteworthy in my opinion if the crowd can't conjure up enthusiasm befitting the situation. Rock vs. Cena 1, for instance, would not have felt as epic if the crowd responded in Miami as the New York audience did for Rock vs. Cena 2. These things matter to the memory, and I'd like to see Becky emerge victorious at the end of an epic and historic main event that delivered to the fullest extent in every way. The stage is set, man. No series of critically panned twists and turns in the build can change that, Flair is the greatest women's wrestler in the history of the company. We can argue all day about what Becky is doing lately, or what Sasha might could have done with a follow-up equaling the caliber of her 2016, but Charlotte Flair sped past Trish Stratus by the time she wrapped up her show-stealing match with Asuka at WrestleMania 34 last year. She's on the pedestal. And if you're going to close Mania with women for the first time, Charlotte no doubt Big Picture deserves to be there and is on her career best form, mind you. Becky has been highly engaging and has elicited a response like no female ever has before on this stage. But Flair has been the rock to her, Austin. She has been absolutely fantastic as a character and a wrestler. The most over-female ever versus the greatest women's wrestler ever versus the most high-profile women's wrestler ever in Rousey. And say what you want... About Rousey during the road to mania, but I think she's been lights out at working everyone into a frenzy about her commitment and her ability. There's a biting truth to her words, and it's intentional and it's fantastic, in my opinion. I think if the crowd can give this match Benoit versus Triple H versus HBK like energy, it can enter the conversation with Roxena 1, HBK Taker 2, and Brian's final triumph as the greatest WrestleMania main events of this decade, and the best in the last five years. I can't see it going to hell in a handbasket, because all three have been so good in big match situations. But I see a bare minimum very good bordering on great match. I think a slight step up from the Mania triple threat three years ago would earn them great respect. And a match of the year candidate's not out of the question, given the stakes and all the various types of hype. I think a lot rides... On Rousey's ability to operate within a triple threat, the smoothness of the sequence execution between the three, what the crowd has left in the tank by then, Becky's ability to rise to the occasion without the cushion of merely trying to steal the show and instead be in the position of having the night stolen from her, Flair is the one I'm least worried about. It's going to be memorable one way or another, either for all the right reasons or all the wrong ones, but it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. Well, that concludes this quick-hitting WrestleMania 35 preview. Everyone have an excellent, excellent WrestleMania night. I'll catch you next week. Check out Aftershock after WrestleMania goes off the air here on LOP Radio and all of our lineup going into post-WrestleMania week which is loaded and stacked to the I gills. Know. This is just what the doc ordered. I'm saying welcome. They sick of the other shows. Chad here to help them. The author of the Mania Era is bringing terror on LOP radio. This is the prepare for the knowledge that he about to showcase. Like a bar that you lift, his opinions hold weight. He wrote a few books and he's working on another for y'all. This a five-star podcast. Chad, let's get it on. Author of the WrestleMania Era, the-